Well, I'm going to set you up this morning for some potentially very fun or potentially very annoying discussion at lunch. You good with that? All right, so I think about this every time I'm, I'm getting ready to travel, and, and this week we have a group of us that are going uh, to Nome, Alaska, where, by the way, through Wednesday, the high is one below, um, and we're going there to uh, work for the uh, Iditarod with Alaska Missions, and uh, it's a great trip. We, uh, we do it every year. We'd love to have you join us next year uh, as well when we do this, and so it's a wonderful trip. Be praying for that team uh, that's out these next couple of weeks doing mission work there in Nome, Alaska, but here's, here's what I'll talk about. Uh, one time I was traveling, my plane got, um, got redirected to uh, Cincinnati. So my plane lands in Cincinnati. We didn't have to get off the plane, uh, but we were there in Cincinnati, and then we flew on the rest of the way home. And so when I got home, a friend of mine were talking, and he said, well, what happened? I said, well, I went to Cincinnati, and then I came home. And he goes, well, you didn't go to Cincinnati. I went, yeah, I went to Cincinnati. Well, you haven't been to Cincinnati. No, I've been to Cincinnati. You didn't even get off the plane. I'm like, yes, but I've been to Cincinnati. I was on the ground. No, you didn't get off the plane. You have not been to And so when have you been somewhere? So if I get in my car right now, see, this is my argument. If I get in my car and I, I drive west and I go all the way to El Paso, I've now been to every town between here and El Paso in the way that I think. And he was like, no, you didn't go there. And I said, well, so what if I stop for gas and I get out and I get gas? Have I been to that place yet? Well, no, not really, because you only stopped for gas and you, did, you haven't been there. And I'm like, now come on. So where's this line of when, when you've actually been somewhere or where you haven't? How many people say I've been to Cincinnati? How many people say I haven't been to Cincinnati? Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I've lost you all for the rest of the service. Somebody in the first service did actually tell me, I don't know that I heard much after you said after that. So <laughs> hang in there with me on this. But this is, why, this is why I say that. Because there's also, I, I do believe that there's a difference between knowing and knowing about. There's a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone specifically. And so, you know, I, I, I can say that I, there's a lot of people that I know a lot about, but I don't know them. I've never met them. And conversely, I can actually say that there's a lot of people I know but I don't know a lot about them. You see how that works too? And so the reason I bring this up is because the question of the morning is, do you know? Well, pastor, do I know what? Well, we're going to get to that. But do you know? And, and before you understand this, you have to understand this concept. It's kind of like this whole thing. Have I been to Cincinnati or have I not been to Cincinnati? I never got off the plane, but I've been there, you know? And, and some of this is the same type of thought when it comes to your relationship with Christ, do you know Jesus or do you just know about Jesus? Have you been around Jesus or do you actually have a relationship with Jesus? And it really is key because as we come to 1 John chapter 5, it's the end of the letter that John has written. And so we're closing up this book today and then we're also closing out the sermon series the power of love, but what he's really been talking about this whole time all boils down to the question for his readers and for us is, do you know Jesus? And I think it's worth talking about. I think it's worth discussing. Am I just aware of him? Have I been around him? Have I come into church and then left church? 
but do I actually know Jesus? Because in 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse <coughs> excuse me, 13, this is what he says, I have written these things to you who believe, so he's writing to believers, in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wrote so that he can know that we have eternal life. He goes on and he writes these words. He says, this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now we'll come back to that thought. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that does not lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him. To those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin that doesn't lead to death. Probably one of the most confusing things you'll read in quite some time. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And then he closes up with this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then one of the most odd endings of a book, I believe, in Scripture, little children, keep yourself from idols. Doesn't even say bye, see you later, whatever, just hey, just keep yourself from idols. And he just moves on. <coughs> so, John, again, to either let you know or remind you who already knew this, this letter is written to the church and it's written to people who have already professed to have a faith in Christ. So therefore, there is a lot of things that he does not write about because he understands his audience. And so when he's writing these things, he, he kind of just fast forwards through some of this. And here at the end of the book, as he is finishing up his letter, he's touching on a lot of things because of this purpose. What was happening in the church to which he was writing was there were false teachers who had come alongside or able in, either even, my mouth does not work today, even infiltrated the church and people were struggling trying to discern who they're supposed to listen to in their teaching. Throughout the entirety of the book, John talks about that God is light, in him there is no darkness, meaning that you can trust God. God will shine on things in your life that sometimes he exposes things that we don't want to see, but also because God is light, he will shine the way that we're supposed to follow if we're following him. He talks about God is love, and he says that if God's love is in us, then it will also be overflowing from our heart in such a way that we are loving other people. And so one of the things that John says all throughout this letter is that if you want to know that you have a relationship with Christ, then you should look at the evidence of the life that you are living. 
He said, you will begin to know that you have a relationship with Christ when you look at your life and you see things like the ability to love other people, even when they don't deserve it, or that I'm actually obeying the commands of God, not arguing with the commands of God. These are the things that you begin to see evidence of God working in your life. This is why John is writing these things. John is writing this letter so that I can know life. That's it. John is writing this letter so that I can know life. And life is a person. It's not an attitude. It's not an idea. It's not a concept. It's not a pursuit of things. Life is a person. Life is found in Jesus. John has discovered this as a person who walks with Christ. And these people who are dealing with these issues, he's writing back to them and saying, you need to bring it all to Jesus. Now, I say this often. I want to explain what I'm talking about. In our culture, that sounds like a bumper sticker. You just bring it all to Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, and people who don't have a relationship with Christ hear a phrase like that and go, I have no idea what that means. And that's okay. Because you may be sitting here today going, I have no idea what that means. How do I bring all this to Jesus? What do you mean? Well, John is saying that you can know life in your relationship with God. And so you need to work on constantly making sure that you have a strong and close relationship with God. And as you do that, you will know life. You will find the life that God is leading you to. Okay, Lindell, how do I work on my relationship with God? Okay, this is what John is saying. You, you first of all come to a place in your life where you say, I believe he is who he says he is. You make the confession that says, okay, I trust Jesus Christ with my heart and my life. I believe he was the son of God. I believe he was crucified on the cross. I believe he was buried and that three days later he overcame the power of sin and death through his resurrection that he is Lord and that he is worthy of following with my life. You first say that. And then the next part, I don't mean to be overly simplistic with it, but it truly is here. Then you do what he says. If you're going to believe who he is, then why wouldn't you do what he says? And this is what John is saying. It's not just a matter of believing him. If you believe him, then you're actually going to start doing what his word says. When you live that out, then you can know life. Think about it this way. The first time you're introduced to someone, you don't know everything about them. If it's someone that you're going to build a relationship with, then you're going to spend time getting to know them. You're going to spend time with them. You're going to talk with them. You're going to do things with them. And then eventually, if you like and love this person, you're actually going to do things because they say, hey, these are probably some good things for you to do in life. You're going to accept that type of advice. John's writing so that we can know life. He says several different things throughout the book of why he's writing these things. In, in 1 John 1, 4, he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What does that mean? He goes, I, I don't want you to struggle with this. I'm writing to you so that you can have joy. I want you to know that you know that you know that you have life in Christ. And that will make me happy as someone who cares about you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, thanks, John. But he goes on and says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Now, I do not have time to get into every angle of what I'm about to say, but this little spot that I said in here, that's probably one of the most confusing things you'll read here 
in quite some time in this book when he talks about if anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to them. And he goes on to say there is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. There's, there's some confusing things that John writes here. But again, if you understand the context, you can follow a path where you can understand what he's saying. And this is it. If he says in 1 John chapter 2, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Meaning that when I sin and stumble, then God is not up there waiting to condemn me. He wants me to find life in him. And so he's inviting me back into a right relationship with him. That's what this looks like. You come to the end of the book and he says, for you, if you see someone else in their life who's struggling with sin, then you need to be praying for that person that God would lead them back to the path of life. And this little thing that he mentions about there is a sin that leads to death, this is Lindell's interpretation. You're welcome to talk about this at lunch today and disagree with me. But after studying a few different people, I'll just put it how, how I see this other part, the sin that leads to death. And what is he talking about? I believe in simple terms what, what John is saying here is that there are some people in this world that have made up their mind about who God is and they want to have nothing to do with him. They have rejected the idea that Jesus is who he says he is. They don't believe anything that somebody's saying about God. And sadly enough to say, as much as you want to pray for them and reach out to them and love them, it is not ultimately going to lead to anything good because they have already made their decision to reject God. And so you can pour yourself out to them for the rest. of So John's not literally saying give up on them and don't pray for them because here's the ultimate thing. We don't know who those people are, right? But sometimes what he is saying is there are people who've just flat out rejected God and when we spend our time trying to pour out to them, it's, it's really not going to be what we want it to be. Scripture is clear in 1 Timothy, by the way, chapter 2, that God's desire is that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So it's not this idea that God just made some to go to heaven and made some to go to hell. That's not it. it God's desire is that we all choose life by knowing Jesus Christ. But there is a reality that some people have already made their decision. And they said, I don't want to have anything to do with it. It should break our hearts when people make that decision. But it is just a reality of where we are and the culture that we live in. I will go on and get out of that rabbit hole for just a little bit. In 1 John chapter 2, he also says... I'm writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you've conquered the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you've come to know the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've come to know the one who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you, and you have conquered the evil one. He goes on in verse 26, I've written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. John wants you to find life. And that's why he ultimately says in the passage that we read, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you know? Do you know? That's the question today. Do you know that you have eternal life? And if so, how? Do you have that confidence and everything that he writes after that is in context of what he's saying. If you have this confidence, then he goes on to say, if you know him, not just know about him, then you know that God answers my prayers. That's what you need to know. You know that God answers prayers. He says in verse 14, 
This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. Now, a verse that could really be taken out of context because some people can read that and say, God gives me whatever I ask for. That's not what that verse said. That verse said that if we know that we are walking with Christ and we know that we have him as Lord of our life and we are trying to do his will and we are asking things that are according to his will, he's going to hear those things and he's going to lead us to life. That's what he's going to continue to do. It's not some magic formula where if we behave well enough that God blesses us with all the things that we ask for. That's not what this is saying. You know, because you do realize that there are three probably more than three, but for the sake of simplicity, three possible responses to our prayers, right? If we pray to God and ask him for something, he can say yes, and he can answer that prayer, right? He could say no to answer that prayer, right? Or he can say, well, not yet, and then we're just waiting for him, right? There's probably more than that, but we understand that when we're taking things to God, not everything has to be A yes. And so none of us, can we admit this, none of us like to be told no. Because the truth is, even even as a follower of Christ, we would like to believe that, okay, if I'm praying and I'm asking for these things, and God, I'm going to use this to your glory, and I really think this would be great for you, we're not even asking sometimes from a selfish heart. We're asking because we truly believe at times that this would be what is best for me or this would be what is best for this person. And so we seek God with these things. And what John is trying to remind his followers is, look, if we're asking according to his will, he hears us and he's going to answer those prayers and he's going to lead us. And when God tells us no, we need to be able to understand that it's because his will is better than our will. And so we don't like to be told no. But And this concept that we have to let sink into our heart is that somebody might actually tell me no because they love me is something that's difficult at times. And so I want to do something that I think will help everyone in this place understand that sometimes there are people in our life that say no to things because they love us and let that sink into our heart. So you'll find in your bulletin where you can sign up to serve in our three-year-old department um, today. It's a joke. But if you've ever worked with preschoolers and you've ever been down there, and I hope you do because it's an awesome thing to do, you understand that out of love, sometimes your job is an hour of going, no, don't do that. Hey, would you stop doing that? Hey, get off of her. Would you stop? Hey, just stop. No, just don't do that. Just stop. You're, you're a whole time, you're just, no, no. It's not because you don't want them to have life. It's not because you don't want them to have fun. It's because you want them to have life. It's because you want them to experience things. And the big picture here is what we hope is that as they grow up, they begin to understand and trust that the people in their lives are saying yes to things and saying no to things that are going to lead them to life. And as this person grows and matures, then perhaps they begin to line their life up and the things that they ask for and the stuff that they do, they line those things up with the people that care about them, and that person becomes more of a person that starts supporting them and saying, yeah, let's get behind that, yes. Let's do this. Yes, let's do that. As opposed to having to be the person that goes, no, 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 no. You see that? There's not a parent in this place that wouldn't love to say yes to their kids all the time 
if their kids were doing the things that they thought were going to bring them life. There's not a parent in this place that wouldn't want to say yes and support all these kids who are making the decisions that they think are going to be the right things, not one. But there's also not a parent in this place that's going to continue to allow their own children to continue to make decisions and then just go, well, I guess I'll just keep giving to Yes, I'll just, yeah, just yes, just yes, everything's yes. They don't do that because they love them. Why would God treat us any different? We're his children. And so sometimes God tells us no because he knows what's best. And here's what we need to trust and we need to let sink into our own hearts and our minds about not getting things our way. You can write this down. If God's will is different than mine, I can trust that it is better than mine. I'm going to say that again. If God's will is different than mine, I can trust that it is better than mine. And so what John is saying is, look, you need to understand as you are following God and you are seeing this evidence of him in your life and as you're still wrestling and trying to figure out and discern which way to go, when God says no or God redirects you, you need to trust that he's doing that because he has something better for you. He's not just trying to keep you from things that you think are going to be best and that he's not doing that to harm you. He's doing that because he loves you. And I want you to hear this. Sometimes we struggle with that because we really do think, well, God, I would follow you, but it's just hard because, and you can fill in the blank. Or, God, I, I really, man, I, I really think that I could be better at this if I just had or if I just did, or if you would just fix, or if you, and I don't know if you've ever had that conversation or if I'm just having self-therapy in front of 300 people today. I don't know. But sometimes that's just kind of the thought process that we go through in this is that. And so here's what you need to understand. Sometimes we don't understand that God has already given us everything that we need until we're told no to the things that we think we need. Let me say that again. Sometimes we don't see that we have everything that we need until we're told no to the things that we think we need. John is saying this pretty cut and dry here, that if you want to see the evidence of God in your life, then you look to see if you're obeying God. Let me just ask you this question, and you don't have to answer in public. But when you come across God's commands... Do you look at them in such a way to go, okay, I, I need to figure out how to get that going in my life if it's something you're not doing, or I need to evaluate, am I doing this in the best way? Or do you argue with them? Do you just come up with excuses? Well, that's just not realistic. I just can't do that right now. God, I don't see how I could possibly do this. I, man, I know you say to do this, but I, you just don't understand this situation. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't see that we already have all that we need until we're told no to the things that we think that we need. We spend all of our time dreaming these great dreams. And boy, God, if you only gave me this, or if I only did this, or if I only did this. And God's going, you already have everything that you need. And if you would just take a step and trust me, you would then see how big I am and how great life could be. But we continue to argue with him over things that we don't have, or we wish we did have, or we wish were different. And if we just moved with where we are, we would see great things happening. We would see great things happening. We have all that we need in Jesus. And this is what John keeps saying. You just got to bring it back to Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. Bring it back to Jesus. If you come back to Jesus, then you'll know. We can face this life differently with Jesus. 
In fact, one of the best things about having a relationship with Jesus, he refers to it in here as well, is I can overcome sin. I can overcome sin. When I have Jesus in my life, then I can actually overcome sin. Sin doesn't beat me down anymore. Sin doesn't make me feel guilty anymore. I actually feel like I have the things where I can overcome this sin that's in my life. That's why he writes, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. Now, now, some of you may think, well, gosh, I still struggle with sin. Me too, okay? So I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Let us all off the hook. So what John is saying is that if you sin, that is proof that you are not a follower of God. No. He's saying this. We know that everyone who's born of God does not sin. So look at it this way. When I'm choosing to follow God in my life and God puts me at a crossroads of a decision where his word's saying one thing, but my heart and my feelings and my experiences are pointing me a different direction, we know... That everyone who has been born of God does not sin. And if at that point in time I trust that I've been born of God and I take a step of faith into the area that I can't necessarily explain or see or understand, then I know God's going to help me and lead me in this direction. If you're following God's path, it's never going to lead you to sin. The only time that we're led to sin is when we're following our path. And so it's an evidence that John uses to say, if you continue to struggle with things in this world, you would really need to ask yourself the question, am I actually trying to follow God or am I just trying to fit God into my thinking? There are two different things on that. You understand that, right? And so this is what he's saying. A follower of Christ can overcome sin. You know, every one of us, how many people in this room wish they had more self-discipline or more willpower? Anyone? Everybody? Just, just that. Okay. Now, you know what breaks my heart is that I look around this room and see people with a tremendous amount of willpower more than I have. And what do you think that makes me feel like? <laughs> I'm like, wow, if they wish they had more willpower, I'm just a slacker. I mean, that's just, whew, it's never going to happen. And so here's what you need to understand. It is important that we desire to do well. And it is important that we try to grow in our own self-discipline. But on my own willpower, I can do some things for a short amount of time, but eventually it's going to fall short. But with God, this is what he's saying, I can live a new life. I can have new life. I do not have to continue to do things the way that I used to do. I don't have to continue to think about things the way I used to. I don't have to approach things the way that I used to. I've been given new life. And I can choose more than daily, I can choose with every decision, am I going to walk with Jesus or am I going to just do this in my own power? And what John is saying is that we know if you've been born of God, you're not going to be led to sin. And so if we will continue to choose God, he will lead you to life. The one who overcame sin and death now lives in me and directs my steps. And when I walk with him, I find life. I find life. I'm no longer my own because I'm a child of God. That's the other thing that he's saying. I'm a child of God. We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Now that might sound arrogant at one point in time, but again, John's writing to believers and he's saying, look, you have to understand that if you are a, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are a child of God, you are his and we know that if we're his, then the things that he's going to lead us to do to find life are probably going to look different 
than what everybody else says life is in this world. And as a child of God, the reason that John tells you to look at your life and see what it says about your relationship with Jesus Christ is because he's saying if you're a child of God, then guess what? You're going to begin to take on his traits, and it will become obvious to you what you are made to do as you strive to become more like him. You see, that's how this whole thing's worked. John's not saying that you can earn your way to heaven or that you need to look at all your works and see if they stack up enough. He's saying you need to look at your life and it will tell you if you are following Jesus and if you know him. You don't have to have somebody else confirm that for you when your life will tell you if you're a child of God or not. And that is the beautiful and scary thing about a relationship with Jesus Christ is that I get to decide every day whether I'm going to live according to God's will or whether I'm going to live according to my old self. That's it. I'm either going to follow his way and find life or I'm going to continue to make excuses. I'm going to continue to do the things that I think are most convenient or most comfortable or the easiest. Or I'm actually going to believe that God's way is going to lead me to life and I'm going to just put it all on him and find that life. Ultimately, what John is saying is, I can know that Jesus is life. I can know that Jesus is life. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one, that is, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. That's why the question is simply this, do you know him? Only you can answer that question. Do you know him or do you know about him? Do you know him or do you know how to be near him? Those are two different things. So you have to know him. And the way that you answer this question is what evidence to yourself, you don't have to prove it to me or anybody else, what evidence to yourself do you see that your life is giving as a relationship with Jesus Christ? Please be honest with yourself this morning and say, is there anything in my life that gives evidence that I'm a person that's walking with Jesus Christ. And if not, you can make the decision to do something about that. Only you can make that decision. John, I told you we're summing up this whole book today. And if I were to put this whole book in a sentence, which is quite difficult to do, but this would be it. It's just train of thought. The light of God's truth. He talks about God being light. The light of God's truth will lead me to life in Jesus that will help me to love others as I am loved by God. This is what John is saying to people. The light of God's truth is gonna lead you to life in Jesus that will help you to love others as you are loved by God. And so that's the evidence that we're looking for. When God shines a light on your life, do you run from it or do you run to it? Have you found life that comes in Jesus and a relationship with him? Or are you trying to build life on your own and just fit Jesus into that? Do you have the ability to love others because you understand and know that you are loved by God? Those are the things that you look for as evidence in your life. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment?